Thank you very much, worship team, for leading us into the presence of the Lord this morning and helping us to worship together. Good morning. Uh, my name is Dan McDonald. I'm our campus pastor down at the Western Campus most of the time. And it's great to be able to journey up here all the way to Wausau to see you guys today. Uh, lots of friends that I've, I've known for years, so it's great to be with you. And a lot of new faces, too, which I love. So nice to have you all here this morning. Um, continuing our sermon series on difficult topics or difficult passages. And my passage isn't very difficult, but the topic is one that maybe we can misconstrue at time as Christians. So what we're going to be looking at today out of the Word of God is how to discern the will of God. So we need help in this. I need help. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we will step into this. Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much for these dear brothers and sisters, that we are a church, that we are a family, that you have called us to know you, and that you have given us instruction in your word how we can know what you want us to do, how we can discern your will. So we thank you for that. I pray that you will uh, be with us in a very powerful way this morning. Help me to speak what is right and true. Help me to exalt your name today through what I share. And I pray that if I do speak amiss, that you will not have us remember that, but only what is right and true from your word. So please, Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, back in the summer of 1993, uh, my wife Sue and I had a bit of a dilemma. I had I just graduated seminary. I know it's hard to believe that I was alive back then, but I was. And, and we were living in Philadelphia at the time. Um, and Sue had a good job. She was a teacher, uh, gamefully employed. I had just lined up a job. And, uh, and we had a church that we loved. And we had a life group that we were a part of that we loved that was very encouraging to us. And we still kind of wanted to move to Wisconsin. Um, we didn't have a job in Wisconsin. We had Sue's parents were living there, and they said we could live with them if we wanted to until we found work. But we were all out of money and spent it all in seminary. So, so we just had this, this struggle of what should we do? What is God's will in this? Should we stay in Philadelphia or should we move to Wisconsin? And, and we decided to move to Wisconsin. My question is, is that foolishness or is that faith? Um, well, we'll talk about that a little later. What I want to do this morning is think about the will of God and how do we discern his will because, you know, when do I retire? When do I not retire? Or should I take this job or that job? Should we move here or move there? Should, we, should I choose this college or that college? Should I, what branch of the military should I go into? Um, on and on it goes. Should we live here? Should we live there? How do we discern the will of the living God? How do we know this? And thankfully, Scripture helps us immensely. Um, let's turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It's what we'll be working out of mainly this morning. And here the Apostle Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And Paul tells us right there 
that there is a way that we can know the will of God. So as we think about this this morning, I want to think about this passage with you a little bit. Um, Romans 12 really marks a transition in the book of Romans because uh, verse, chapters 1 through 11 talk about the mercies of God, which Paul references in verse 1. You know, therefore, by the mercies of God, he says, chapters 1 through 11, amazing view of God's mercy. And then 12 through 16 is, okay, so based on this, these mercies of God, how are we to live? So we're just beginning, you know, this, this shift here in Rome, Romans chapter 12. And when we think about the mercies of God that Paul's been talking about in the book of Romans, um, maybe we can think about some of these. Romans chapter 1, we read that the wrath of God is being poured out on the ungodliness of men who, in their unrighteousness, suppress the truth about God. Romans 1 tells us we are truth suppressors. And in Romans 3, we read that there is no one righteous, not one. No one has kept God's perfect, holy, just law. Nobody. And we read that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We are all failing at hitting the righteous requirements of God. But then we read on in Romans 3 that even though we can't drum up enough of our own righteousness to please a holy, perfect, just God, what, we, what God has done is he has provided a righteousness from himself. We have a righteousness from God. Okay, We can't drum it up ourselves. We need a righteousness from somewhere else. So God sends Jesus, his own son, who lives a perfect, holy, righteous life, never sinned. And then God offers his son to us as our sacrifice. If Jesus had sinned, he would have had to pay for his own sin, right? But he never once sinned. So he could step in and be our substitute. And for all who place their faith in Christ... The wrath of the righteous, holy wrath of a just judge, which is due us for our sin, if you place your faith in Christ, that is reckoned to Jesus. And all our sin is put on him, and he pays for it. And then Jesus' perfect righteousness is imputed to us. That's God's plan to save us. And he looks at us and says, Dan is not guilty. Why? Because he sees Jesus' righteousness and declares me not guilty based on a righteousness from him, not a righteousness of my own. That doesn't cut it, right? So, just amazing mercies of God that we see in the early part of Romans. And then in Romans chapter 11, which, by my calculations, I wasn't that great at math, but immediately precedes Romans 12, we see here that, that there's another mercy in view that the gospel, the good news that Jesus has come to save sinners was not just for the Jewish people, but it's been opened up to the non-Jewish people, to the Gentiles. We are, we are grafted in through our faith in Christ into the family of God as well. Amazing mercy. So that's what Paul is talking about when he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. I'm appealing to you based on all, the, all these great things that God has done for you. Because of that, I'm appealing to you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And it almost shouldn't have to be an appeal, right? I mean, if... If we had been rescued from a horrific danger, it's like we want to turn to our rescuer and say, wow, thanks so much. What can I do for you? What, what do you want me to do? I'll do anything. Okay, but Paul appeals to that because we know we can get clouded, but we are to keep the mercies of God in view and, and based on that, out of these thankful hearts, to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, to say, Lord, I belong to you. 
Um, when you think about what it is like to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, it's very easy not to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Here are some questions maybe it would be helpful to ask ourselves. What do we do with our bodies? Do we speak words with our mouths that tear people down and are harsh? Or do we speak words that build up? Do we write things with our hands that God has given us, using the brain that God has given us, that destroy others? Or do we write things that build others up? What about, what do we look at? Do we look at things that we should not look at, that dishonor and displease the Lord? Do we use our eyes in ways that dishonor him? Do we touch others in ways that dishonor him? Do we do harm to ourselves in ways that dishonor the Lord? What do you do with your body? What about me? There's this amazing call in 1 Corinthians 6 that Paul ushers, and he says this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. There's this call that this body is his. So if I want to know what is the will of the living God, as I'm keeping his mercies in view, I'm to offer him my body and say, Lord, take me, take my life, let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. What do you want me to do? I'll do it. And he doesn't just stop there. Paul goes on to say, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What does it mean to be conformed to the world? Well, what is the major philosophy of the world? It's, I'm the middle of everything. I'm the center. Make it all about me. Um, how am I going to maximize my potential? What can I do that's going to ultimately bring me glory? You know, we can make it all about us. But instead, we're called to have this renewal of mind. And when we become Christians, all of a sudden, we start to realize that, wait a minute, it's not all about me. It's, it's about the living God. And my life is to be oriented around him, and it's about giving him glory. And, but so often, we can slip back again into making it all about us, right? But as we take in God's word, God's word renews our mind and gives us new ways of thinking about everything, about God, about who we are in relation to him, about our struggles with sin, about our relationships, about how we work. I mean, God's word encompasses all of it. And we, if we are not taking in God's word, we're, we're really stunting ourselves. And we're not going to have a renewed mind and be able to think about things the way increasingly that God calls us to think about things. So... So there's this call to Scripture. Um, Deuteronomy 29, 29 puts it like this. When we think about the will of God. The secret things belong to the Lord, right? So God is infinite and wise, and his ways are inscrutable and mysterious. There are, there are things that he does that we don't get. But he's infinite, and we're finite. He's a creator. We are creatures made by him. And there are things that he says and does and knows that are beyond us. But the second part of that verse, the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. So God has given us, he's revealed to us what we need to know about how we are to live before him. And how has he revealed it? It's right here in his word. This is God's revelation of himself to us. And this is how we are to live. So we are renewed in our minds as we, as we take God's word in. And God is up to something in us, isn't he? 
What is the aim of your marriage? What is the aim of your schooling? What is the aim of your work? What is the aim of coming to church this morning? I mean, what is, what is your aim in all of life? What, what is to be our aim when the struggles and suffering comes? What is to be our aim when God pours out blessings and things we would call good things? What is your aim in all of this? What is my aim? Well, God tells us in his word what our aim is to be because this is what he's up to. This is his highest calling to us. This is what he's doing. For those whom God foreknew, in Romans 8, 29, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Okay, that's, so the aim of a marriage isn't to have a good marriage. That's, that can be one sub-goal. But the ultimate goal is, how is it that I'm being conformed to the likeness of Christ? How can I be yielded to him and look more and more like him? And think about struggles the way he thought about struggles. And think about blessing the way that he thinks about blessing. That's what I need. I need a, a, a Christ-like mind. And that's what God is up to. And that's why we desperately need his word. Because left to myself, I have a Jeremiah 17, 9 mind. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it, right? So I'm going to be deceiving myself and everybody else around me if I do not have the mind of Christ. We need that desperately. So as we think about these things, we're, we're thinking about what does it mean to live out the will of God. And so we're to keep his mercies in view. Based on that, offer our bodies as living sacrifices and being transformed by the renewing of our mind that by testing we may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So just want to look at applying that this morning. You know, what does it look like then to think about the will of God, to think through the will of God? And we're going we're to use a, a target as an example. Uh, this is something I pulled out of a book by Jim Petty, a helpful book called Step by Step. And as we think about the will of God, we can think about it in three concentric circles. And, and we'll break it down this way. The bullseye, um, we don't even have to pray about the bullseye. The bullseye are God's prohibitive commands. They're the do nots of scripture. Do not steal. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. All the do nots of scripture we can keep them all at the same time. We don't have to decide, should I do this one? Should I keep this command or that command? We can keep them all, all at once. And, uh, and like, sometimes I get hungry and I think, well, Quick Trip's just down the road and in the display case, they have these uh, long johns with chocolate frosting and white cream in the middle. <laughs> and <laughs> I love those things. But just thinking about that, when I go down to Quick Trip and I see that in the display case, I'm going to get one, I don't, have to, I don't have to pray about should I steal this or should I buy it, right? I mean, God's will is crystal clear. <laughs> so so that's, that's that bullseye. God's will is super clear there. Okay, the next circle out are the positive commands of Scripture, the do's of Scripture. Um, and we can't keep all the do's of Scripture all at the same time. For instance, uh, we can read about some of them in Romans 12, but I'm just going to list a few from Scripture. Things like hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Okay, these are things we're commanded to do. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Love your neighbor as yourself. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Pray without ceasing. Rejoice evermore. 
Okay, we're called to do those things. That's also God's will, right? No doubt in Scripture. It's there. But we need biblical discernment because we can't keep all of those all at the same time. And let me just illustrate briefly here with, uh, this was September 7th, 1999. I was working out in Wittenberg at the time, and I got a phone call from Sue saying, Honey, it's time. Well, she was pregnant with our third son, Luke. And, and in my dreams, I'd always wanted to, to be the dad who rushes home, picks up his wife, puts on the four-way flashers, and drives fast to the hospital. Well, with Nick and Caleb, it didn't happen that way due to various circumstances, but it did work this way this time. So I got in the car, flashers on, Highway 29 to Wausau, picked up Sue, now picture this scenario, this part is not true, <laughs> but picture this scenario. It's pouring down rain. I'm rushing Sue to the hospital. There on the side of the highway, I see my next door neighbor in the rain trying to flag somebody down. He's got a flat tire, he looks miserable. And I'm called to love my neighbor. And I'm called to love my wife, right? I can't do both right at the same time. Um, Sue would say she could help me make the decision, you know? but. <laughs> <laughs> but in those, in those sorts of situations, we need biblical wisdom to know what do I do here, okay? So that's why I'm saying it's a little less clear in that second circle. We need biblical wisdom. And then the, uh, the outer circle, Christian liberty, I mean, we, God gives us all kinds of freedom. Should we paint the walls light tan or light beige? Should I wear my black shoes today or my brown shoes? Okay, I mean, these tend to be matters of style and taste, we have all kinds of freedom in these sorts of situations. Now, there can be moral components, moral issues behind it. Like if I'm wearing my black shoes because I want to impress somebody that I'm, I should not be trying to impress, that's a moral issue. But aside from that, we just have all kinds of liberty in that outer circle, and God gives us freedom to choose. What do you want to do? So as we think about these things, you know, and thinking about the will of God and how to discern it, I want to look at a couple of, of examples. One is a biblical example, Acts chapter 1. And then the second one, I just want to talk a little bit about some of the things Sue and I wrestled with in our move from Philly to Wisconsin. Um, but in Acts chapter 1, the disciples have a decision to make because there are 11, not 12, right? Judas had betrayed Jesus and then committed suicide. So they, they needed to fill his office. They had to make a decision. Who are we going to put in here? And, um, and by the time we're in Acts chapter 1, at the passage we're going to be looking at, some significant things have recently happened. Jesus has been crucified on the cross to pay for our sin, right? He was buried. He rose again on the third day. He spent some time with his disciples for a while, and then he ascended back to heaven. And as he, just prior to his ascension, he said to his disciples, look, I have something I want you to do. I want you to take the good news about what I have come to do to pay for the, the sins of people and to draw people into relationship with the Father. I want you to take that not only to Jerusalem, but to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And what I want you to do now, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait there until you are clothed with power from on high, until I send the Holy Spirit to you. And then he's going to enable you to accomplish these things that I have called you to. So that's the setting for what we're about to read in Acts chapter 1. Um, starting verse 14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women 
and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he, Judas, was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man, Judas, acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is field of blood. And then Peter goes on, for it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, Peter is saying, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, till Jesus was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Kind of surprising, right? They cast lots. But let's remember that that's not all they did. That's not the first thing that they did. Um, when we think about Romans 12 and that process of keeping the mercies of God in view, offering our bodies as living sacrifices, being transformed by the renewal of our mind, think about it in this context as well. Because what are these people doing? Okay? They didn't go home. They are astounded by the things that have taken place and they're reflecting on them and they're gathered together and they're worshiping and they're, they're laying down their lives, right? They're offering themselves as sacrifices, living sacrifices, because rather than going home, here they are in Jerusalem waiting and waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. So they're keeping God's mercies in view. All these things have just happened in Jerusalem. They're offering themselves as living sacrifices. They're being renewed by Scripture day by day as well. Just shortly before, in Luke chapter 24, we read about how Jesus said, look, the whole scripture is about me. He explained from the Psalms, the prophets, and the law of Moses, how all that pointed to Christ. And, and obviously, they are being steeped in God's word because Peter's quoting things out of Psalm 109. You know, let another take his office. Um, we need to replace the one that betrayed Jesus. So that was something God had commanded in Scripture. And they're like, yes, we need to be doing this. So they're, they're going through this Romans 12 process, even though Romans 12 had not yet been written. And, and they're thinking these things through. And then when it comes down to it, um, they're like, okay, so how do we go about this? And they set up biblical criteria. We want, we want men who are, first of all, they're going to have to be a witness with us of Christ's resurrection. So we want somebody who's been with us the whole time, from the time that Jesus was baptized, the beginning of his ministry, till he ascended into heaven. And as they thought about um, qualified people, they came up with two. Would have been easier if they had one, but there were two, Justice and Matthias. So now they have to choose. Okay? And, and as they thought through this, all things being equal, they could not come to a decision as to which one was a better choice, right? Um, but they only needed one. So they have to make a decision. And they don't just 
cast lots at that point either, which when we think about casting lots, maybe think about flipping a coin to make a decision. Um, they also did not do that yet. In verse 24, it says, and they prayed. After they've gone through all this process, they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry. So it's like they had, they had Justice and Matthias. They had black shoes and brown shoes. Either guy would be great. Lord, we don't know how to choose, so we're going to cast lots. And they likely recalled Proverbs 16, 33, which says the, lost is, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So they cast lots and fell on Matthias, and Matthias became the 12th apostle. So they didn't just cast lots, right? I mean, they, they had the mind of Christ in all this. And that's what we're called to as well as we think about the will of God. And then the other example I just wanted to share with you is about um, how we arrived at the decision to move to Wisconsin. Um, there, there were several things going on. Uh, we wanted to be either near my family or Sue's family. And Sue and I arm wrestled and she won. So we came to Wisconsin. No, we love both our families. It just made more sense to move out here. Uh, and uh, another thing is that uh, at the time, Sue's, Sue's sister was very sick and she had four young children. Uh, one of them, Bethany, was singing up here today. And, and we thought, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen to Sue's sister, so we thought we could be available to help. But, and we had a place to stay until we found work, which was gracious. Sue's parents agreed to do that. That's what we had going for us in Wisconsin. We had everything else in Philadelphia. We had jobs, we had church, everything was good. So, but we, we kind of felt this pull to move, but we didn't want to depend on our own Jeremiah 17, 9 hearts, which can be so deceitful. So we began to pray about it. And then we talked to our life group and asked them to pray with us, which they graciously did. And they encouraged us to seek out wise advice, to seek out one of the elders in our church. So we, we set up an appointment with him and his wife to talk to them as well. And they prayed with us and gave us very wise counsel, which... Just as a sidebar, I want to encourage each of you, you know, if you're running into a big decision, don't hesitate to talk to the elders or the pastors or your life group leaders or wise Christian friends. Don't, you don't have to wrestle with these things by yourself. We're, this is a way we can be in community and encourage one another. But that was so very helpful for us. And then, and then we, we also just made a list of pros and cons on a piece of paper. And we weighted the pros and we weighted the cons because not all pros and cons are equal, right? Some are, some are way more putting stock in than others. And, and when we came down to the end, it was not clear. <laughs> How about that, huh? <laughs> but, but this is what we realized. We realized we had black shoes or brown shoes. I mean, we could, we could stay in Philadelphia and God would graciously, sovereignly lead us there. We could move to Wisconsin, and we knew that grace, God would graciously, sovereignly, lovingly lead us here. Um, so we had this peace, and we thought, what do we want to do? We thought, you know, we really do want to move to Wisconsin. So, so that was the process we went through. And God has just been very encouraging through all of that. And it, we just had peace knowing that it was in his hands. So as we think about the will of God, I want to encourage each of us that way, that we want to we want to keep God's mercies in view, right? And we want to be laying down our bodies as living sacrifices, saying, Lord, it's about you, not about me. That's our renewed mind as well. And, and in closing, I just want to highlight maybe some, some things that we, 
could put stock in that we shouldn't put a tremendous amount of stock in when it comes to discerning the will of God. And, and the first one is this, open and closed doors. You know, God opened the door, so I said yes. God closed the door, so I said no. Okay, that's, that's a criteria to consider. I had a job offer one time where I said, let me think about it for a month, and I went back, and they said, we're not offering the job anymore. Uh, so that was clearly a closed door. I, I couldn't go over there and say, wait a minute, you know, you still have to offer the job. That was a closed door. But, but oftentimes, there can be obstacles that come up in front of us where we think, oh, closed door, okay, I'm not going to do that. But we have an adversary, the devil, who, who also likes to throw up obstacles to impede people from doing what is God's will. So we don't want... We don't want open and closed doors to be the highest criteria. Even considering the life of Gladys Aylward, a missionary from London who went to China, uh, just a young woman, grew up, uh, felt the call of God to go to China, really sensed it strongly, and, and she tried to go to China, and she had so many roadblocks. She was on a train that stopped in the middle of Siberia, and she had to hike two days in the Siberian wilderness back to another place to get another train, which took her to another town, still in Russia, where she was, in essence, kidnapped and robbed. And she finally managed to escape, and, and she caught some way to get to China. And when she got to China, the person she was supposed to meet had been waiting for weeks, and, and I mean, Gladys was so many weeks late that she just didn't wait anymore. And then she found out it was two more weeks to get to where this woman was up in the mountains, and she had no money. Okay, I mean, when you talk about closed doors, Gladys Aylward could make a case and say, oh, the Lord doesn't want me to go to China. But she went to China, and the Lord used her in amazing ways. So just to say we don't want open and closed doors to be the highest criteria. Also, what about personal safety? You know, what criteria should personal safety be? Again, not the highest criteria, right? Because you think about Jesus in Luke chapter 4. He said some things that have really offended his his fellow Nazarites in the city of Nazareth, and they're about to throw him off a cliff, and he walks through them and, and goes on his way because his time had not yet come. Okay, he, he walked out of danger, right? So sometimes it's okay to walk out of danger, but later, three years later, Jesus goes to Jerusalem knowing that he's going to be tortured, arrested, tortured, crucified, okay? But he goes, he wades into, even though there's going to be tremendous danger to himself. Apostle Paul, same thing. Load over the wall, Damascus, escapes danger. Later goes to Jerusalem knowing he's going to be persecuted. There's a time to wade into danger. There's a time not to. Okay, So it's something we weigh, but it can't be the highest criteria, our personal safety, in determining the will of God. Uh, another one, we can't afford it, you know, money. Well, again, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? Who owns the gold in every mine? Our God does. And if he's calling us to something, then he will provide a way for that to happen. So we don't want to write it off right away because it sounds too expensive. Again, not a highest criteria. Here's another one, um, depending on a sign from God, saying, God, give me a sign. Please give me a sign. And then I'll know what I should do. Now, we know from the book of Judges in the Old Testament that God did that with Gideon. Gideon asked for a sign. God gave it to him. That's a description of what Gideon did. It's a description of God's mercy to Gideon. But that's not what Scripture says about how do we discern the will of God. Romans 12 talks to us about that. So God may graciously give signs on occasion, but again, if that becomes our highest criteria and the thing we're pursuing and depending on, uh, that's wrong. You know, that's not what we should be doing. And then the other thing I think about is, is the fear of missing out on plan A. 
right? God's got this plan for my life, and I don't want to screw it up. And I'm so nervous that I get paralyzed, and I don't make decisions. Okay, but, but that's not, because we think, okay, if it's not plan A, then I get stuck with plan B, or plan F, or plan Z. And, but God doesn't, that's not how God is, right? When we think about God's will for our life, think about it this way. Think about Romans 8.28, where a promise that Jesus bought for us on the cross, that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things. What does that include? All things, right? Includes things that happen to me that I don't like. Includes horrific decisions that I've made. Includes maybe sinful decisions I've made that God is still able to work through and teach me through and bring me to a point where here I am right now and in front of me is plan A and plan B. Um, Plan A is always, Lord, what is the next faithful step that I can take? That's what God's will is. So don't be paralyzed by freaking out and saying, ah, I'm, I'm going to make the wrong decision, so I, then we can't make any decision, okay? Go through the biblical process that we've been talking about in Romans 12 and trust the Lord. He's good, and he's gracious, and he's merciful. And let me, let me just close with this. So those, these things we're talking about aren't the highest criteria. What is the highest criteria for discerning the will of God? And the thing we want to keep in mind the most is, is uh, Matthew 6.33, where Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God's glory is what's most important. So Lord, if I'm trying to make this decision, what is going to be the most honoring to you? How can I glorify you in what I'm doing? And because in doing that, not only does, is God glorified the more like Christ we are, but also the greatest joy we have. Because Jesus had tremendous joy in his relationship with his Father. The more we're conformed to the likeness of Christ, the more joy we're going to have, greater joy than anything that we could pursue here on this earth. So, just want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, to let's think about these things together as we seek out God's will. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us your word and the opportunity we have to think through things this morning as well. And thank you that you have not left us on our own, that you have not left us to our own Jeremiah 17, 9 hearts, which are very deceitful. We can believe things are right that aren't right at all. But thank you that you've imposed on us by your Holy Spirit, by your power, by drawing us into a relationship with Jesus. And help us to keep your mercies in view that you've rescued us from our sin and from the consequences of sin. And you have brought us to a place of of being able to know you and serve you and love you. And you are renewing our minds through your word. Help us to pursue your word eagerly and constantly. And we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.